Blog Talk Radio. reached our next mini-study, the Day of Christ, and we're calling this first part a glorious advent. We have a question mark there, um, just by way of a reminder, we're, we're trying to take our, our time as we work through these verses and, and allow the puzzle pieces to come together. And uh, so we're, we're seeking to uh, understand a little bit more about this day, the day of Christ. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2 says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, this phrase, the coming... Uh, we have discussed already. It's uh, a technical term in the New Testament. Uh, in Greek, it's parousia, and it means uh, an advent. It speaks about the actual presence of a person, and it was often used to speak about the the presence of of royalty. So, uh, it could be used for a a royal visit. Um, it comes across pretty clearly here over in First Thessalonians 2, verse 19. For what is our hope? Paul, speaking to the church here, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his parousia, at his coming? Let's take a look at a, a, a few cross-references. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse, verses 16 through 18. For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the... Or we did not follow cunningly uh, devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now Peter is talking about the transfiguration, which is recorded in the Gospels, and later on you can go back and check this out in the Gospel of, of Matthew. Um, Peter says in verse 16, they were eyewitnesses to the coming, the parousia of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember the transfiguration, it was quite uh, the glorious event. Now, back in the book of Hebrews, um, 
we have we have some uh, bookends. Uh, Hebrews chapter nine to to read that nine twenty seven through twenty eight, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying that there are those who are eagerly waiting for the Lord who will appear... A second time. Now, the word appears is a, is a word that we haven't studied as of yet, but it means to be seen, to be seen. And uh, we, uh, this word is used over in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17. Behold, he is coming, Erkomai, from A to B, with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him even so amen so uh, if you remember back in the book of acts there were two witnesses and the disciples they witnessed uh, they observed that uh, the Lord ascended up into heaven on the cloud and the witnesses told them that he will return just as he departed um so we speak about this return uh, as the, the second coming, when he will come on the clouds. And uh, we have that recorded for us here uh, in Revelation 1, 17. And the scripture says that, and every eye will see him. Again, that's our word back there in Hebrews. And if you read further in the you know, first chapter of Revelation, you will see that this also, this second coming, is also a glorious event. So back over in Hebrews, the other bookend uh, is over in chapter 10, verse 20, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So on one end, we have those who are eagerly waiting for the Lord to appear a second time, to be seen a second time. And then in between these bookends, we have uh, an exhortation to, to, to uh, uh, boldly approach the throne because Jesus is the better sacrifice. He is the greater high priest. He's merciful and compassionate towards us. And so, you know, uh, again, verse 19, having boldness to enter. And, and, and verse 22, let us draw near. And verse 23, let us hold fast the confession. So we're being exhorted, encouraged. And, and then we get, and let us consider one another in verse 24. And it all leads up to the writer here saying, and we should be doing these things so much the more as we see the day approaching. As we see the day approaching. So the obvious question then is, 
what day are we talking about? And uh, I think more and more as we study the verses in their context, where it seems to be that this day is a day of light, a day of glory. Okay, we're at part two. Shaken or troubled. Uh, our verse here, Second Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, uh, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And that's our focus will be on this issue of shaken in mind or troubled. But let me also uh, just make a quick mention about uh, this issue um, of the coming and the gathering. Um, we've looked at these words already. The coming is the parousia, and then the gathering together is the episunagoge. Um, now, concerning these events, um, there's two ways of looking at it. This could be a list of items or it could be you know, one event, uh, two sides of the same coin, meaning that uh, you know this chapter could be concerning a a gathering together, a staging area for the the coming of the Lord for the Perusia, or it could be looked at as just sort of like this one event where there's a coming and. At the same time of the coming, there is a catching up or a, uh, a gathering together to him. Now, I just mentioned that because, uh, as we've discussed before, the only other place in the New Testament that the word uh, for gathering together, which is episunagoge, the only other place that it's used is in, over in Hebrews 10, 25. And what we learn there is that you can forsake that gathering together. Now, I, I do think that that is an important point as we continue along and as we get into some more of the details of this chapter. If you started in Hebrews, you wouldn't think of the gathering together as the rapture sort of event because you could forsake it. So let, let's keep that in the back of our minds as we're moving forward uh, you know, to help us understand what is going on here. Now, and let me add to that, it, the Second Thessalonians 2 coming of the Lord and gathering together could be one of these two things. It could be a, a list that one leads to the other, or it could be like one event, both happening at the same time. We will just have to compare Scripture with Scripture and we, uh, Lord will, and we'll see what, what's going on here. <laughs> but uh, concerning this issue of uh, uh, not being uh, shaken in mind or troubled, and, and they would have been shaken in mind and troubled uh, because they thought that the day of Christ had come. And it either came by, you know, some spirit or by word um, or a letter some false uh, message sent uh, to the church there that, that didn't come from Paul or the brethren 
with him. So he he's saying, look, I don't want you to be uh, shaken here. I don't want you to, uh, the idea in the original is that I don't want you to waver, to wobble, to topple. Okay, the, uh, the idea of being shaken is, is to, to kind of like you're going through an earthquake uh, and you would topple. That's how it's used over in Acts chapter 16. Um, remember Paul and Silas, they're in prison and there was an earthquake that shook the foundations of the prison. Uh, we see it used also over in Luke chapter 21 verses 25 through 26 and it says and Jesus said there will be signs in the sun in the moon and in the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Uh, word shaken right there. And then also we see it over in Matthew 24, verse 29. And the Lord again says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken now uh, he he he's basically saying that I, I i don't want you in your mind in your intellect uh in your understanding of the meaning of things i don't want you to be troubled to waver to wobble to fall down and now he uses another uh phrase there it's kind of a, a similar thing he's saying i don't i don't want you to um be troubled so shaken in mind and troubled and and that idea of being uh troubled is the idea of being afraid to be frightened and specifically to be frightened in mind now what's interesting about this specific word it's only used three times in the new testament once in second thessalonians 2 and then also in Mark 13, and then in Matthew 24. Uh, Mark 13 is, is basically the Olivet Discourse. It's a parallel passage to Matthew 24. This Olivet Discourse just comes up again and again as we're studying Second Thessalonians. It's, you know, it, it's clearly a parallel passage. Well, in uh, Matthew 24, verse 6, it says... You will hear, Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So the Lord, uh, with his disciples and what he taught them, he wanted them to not be troubled, even though they were going to be shooken and go through troubling times. He He prepared them ahead of time. Now, um, Paul adds there, and, and if you want, you could pop up to over to Luke 24. Uh, it's a very, I think, a really good passage for us to, to end on here. But 
Paul is saying in this section, uh, I don't want you to be so soon, so quickly, so shortly, um, you know, troubled in mind and 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 uh, shaken, uh, because you know the, these these things were supposed to happen, and he's going to go on to talk about that. Um, he's going to talk about some things that you know he'll he'll say these things have to happen, and so you're not yet in the day of Christ. You didn't you didn't miss anything. That's the way at least it seems to be reading if we were to keep it uh simple stupid now this passage over here in in uh luke 24 uh is a is a powerful one and it's helpful for us i think if we meditate upon it because it's the lord is risen and uh he pe- he appears again to his uh disciples which is important um there's various appearances and we we have talked many times about uh, the disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus and how the Lord revealed himself to them and they were able to see him uh, through the breaking of bread. Um, and then in another gathering of, of uh, the, the believers, verse uh, 36 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself, stood in the midst of them that's a that's a a coming quickly i would say <laughs> and said to them peace to you but they were notice terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit <laughs> and he said to them again you could see it's the parallel uh, themes going on with second thessalonians 2 and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said these, this, uh, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while, but while they uh, still did not believe or for joy and, and marveled, he said to them, oh, let me go back there, verse 41, but while they did not believe for joy and marvel or still did not believe for joy and marveled he said to them have you any food here and so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate it in their presence and then he said to them these are the words which i spoke to you while i was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms concerning me and he opened their understanding that's the same word as mind in second thessalonians 2 he opened their mind their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures so paul is sort of echoing what jesus did to his disciples he He's encouraging the disciples in Thessalonica that, hey, don't be shaken. Don't be troubled. Uh, it'll be okay. And there's some things you need to know uh, to be prepared so you could see what is to come. We've reached uh, part three of our Day of Christ mini-study. And we've uh, 
titled this one had come. Second Thessalonians two, one through three. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So, uh, we're focusing, like we said, on the, the, the phrase, or the word, had come, and there's a little bit of the, the Greek information and the Strong's number. And the the idea of it is that it, there's something is uh, at hand, something is uh, present, and it's specifically used uh, related to time. Um, you'll notice uh, here, or I shouldn't say only used for time, but I believe mainly. Uh, but here are a few of the uses in the New Testament, and there's not a lot of uses of it. Um, and you'll note here in the New King James Version, they use the word present. Uh, Romans 8.38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. 1 Corinthians 7.26 I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Galatians 1.4 Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our, our God and Father. So, this idea of uh, to come um, is, I think, well, most often and most uh, clearly translated as present. And uh, another word for us to think about that I, I think is, is helpful is the word current. That's what it's talking about, something being current, um, present in this time frame. So uh, in this particular verse, um, what what we have uh, uh, Paul uh, also saying to the brothers and sisters about the day of Christ we know um, that there was some concern there's a there's a shakenness of mind and um, they were troubled there was either a spirit or a word or a letter that had not come from Paul or his brethren um, that caused this trouble and they were thinking that the day of Christ had come. Um, Paul saying, is saying, let no one deceive you uh, by any means about this for that day will not come. Now you'll notice there that I've, I've matched up the colors. You have day of Christ and that day had come, will not come. Um, and you'll also, if you, if you look close there, you'll see that 
the the that day will not come is italicized if you have a New King James version of the Bible. Um, if it's italicized, that means it's not there in the original, but the context, just for the purposes of translation, they, they include it. So that's a helpful thing. Um, you know, they, they added it there. Clearly the translators uh, were connecting verse 3 with verse 2. Um, so really in the, in, in the Greek, it's let no one deceive you by any means unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. Um, but grammatically and by context, that what they're talking about is uh, the day, the day of Christ, uh, not coming unless certain things happen. Now, so he says, I don't want anybody to deceive you about this. Now, an important cross-reference uh, that uses this word deceive is over in Second Corinthians 11. It says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, uh, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with, the, with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So there's the same use of the word there, and and that that's an important. Second Corinthians 11 is important uh, to understand as we move forward in Second Thessalonians 2. Um, it's not the same word in the Greek, but um, it's the same concept. And uh, when we go back, as we've mentioned, we keep going back to the Olivet Discourse, and, and rightfully so, because it, it's a parallel passage. More than anything else, Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, uh, discourse uh, spoke about deception. I mean, he starts right off in verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Verse 11, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So, uh, this concept there of, of you know us taking heed to the word of God and not being deceived is, is, is very important over there in Second Thessalonians 2 and Jesus uh, warned us about it and Paul is uh, doing the same thing there so uh, let, let's read it one more time now brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come or was present. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not be present unless the falling away comes first. 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So if we're to keep this simple, stupid, like we've been saying we should try to do, um, I'm not saying, there. obviously there are complex Greek phrases and sentences uh, in the Bible, but it's probably good to initially start by keeping things simple, stupid. And, and in this case, if we do that, uh, it, it's it's pretty clear that that day, the day of Christ, will not come, will not be present, unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. So it's saying two things must happen. The falling away comes first, the man of sin is revealed and that word unless is obviously an uh, important word there so um, again we're, we're just saying well, let's read this keep things simple straightforward that's what Paul is saying here Look, the, <laughs> the day of Christ is not present it hasn't come Like, don't be deceived about this for that day will not come unless two things happen here, the falling away and the man of sin being revealed. So, okay, we've reached the fourth part of uh, the Day of Christ mini-study, and we've called this one Christ or Lord. Our text, Second Thessalonians 2, 1-3, through 3, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now, you'll see that phrase there, the day of Christ. In some Bible translations, it uh, uh, it is rendered there as, uh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So in this mini-study, we want to look into that, this question. Is it day of Christ or day of the Lord? And uh, it will lead us to a, a, a more more important question uh, that, that we'll get on to, and something I, I think that will be helpful for us in understanding this portion of Scripture. Uh, I'd like to read from a very short article by Gary Shogren, who is a New Testament scholar, Ph.D., who has written uh, various commentaries. And he has this article, The Critical Text and the Textus Receptus in Second Thessalonians. So let's click on over there. We have it up. Most Greek uh, or most Christian scholars use what is called the critical edition of the Greek New Testament, and almost all modern versions are based upon it. There are several camps that prefer other editions, the Textus Receptus or the majority text. Some do so because of a belief that it, it better represents the original. I think they are mistaken, but respect their view. Others promote one conspiracy theory or another. The modern editors are motivated by a desire to remove Christ from the New Testament. They are in league with the Pope or the Illuminati or the Masons to destroy God's word. That the NIV New Testament strikes out the name of the Lord Jesus 178 times 
and that, so goes the theory, its editors did so as a blatant attack against his person or authority or incarnation. So he obviously is going to defend a translation like the NIV. Does that theory hold up? As a test case, we will examine the brief epistle of Second Thessalonians. Christ is referenced some 22 times. Of these, 18 times show no difference whatever between the 1550 Elsevier version of the Textus Receptus and the latest critical edition, Nestle Alland 27th edition. What are the four verses that do show a difference between the editions? There is hardly any noticeable plot to cut Christ out of the message of the letter. So here's the, the four differences. Um, number one, our Lord Jesus Christ in the TR, the Textus Receptus, is our Lord Jesus in the critical text, chapter 1, verse 8. Number two, our Lord, uh, or, uh, yeah, our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus, the first time in chapter 1, verse 12, but stays Lord Jesus Christ the second time. Number three, and pertains to our study today. Day of Christ is day of the Lord in chapter 2, verse 2. And number 4, the Lord is the Lord Jesus in chapter 2, verse 8. That is, the critical text has the additional name Jesus. These changes are not some random decision of the NA 27th edition, but are based on what are considered to be the older and better manuscripts of the New Testament. In addition, textual critics have become aware that over the centuries, pious scribes tended to expand the divine names as they copied manuscripts, example, making Jesus Christ into the Lord Jesus Christ. A good example of this is found in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, where... Our Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord Jesus in earlier manuscripts. Of the 22 examples in 2 Thessalonians, the main significant difference is from day of Christ to day of the Lord in the critical text. Twice Lord Jesus Christ becomes Lord Jesus, but the critical text leaves in Christ the other nine times. The other change actually expands the divine name for the Lord to the Lord Jesus. These sorts of data try the imagination of the conspiracy theorist who must explain why those in the plot to take Christ out of the Bible did such slipshod work. So, uh, you know, now the what he's writing there could be debated. Um, I'm not saying I actually agree with him, um, but. Uh, I read that because it, it brings home a point that will move us along here. And, it, and it's this. The changes that were made in the New Testament that he referred to uh, dealt with the person and the deity and the titles associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, whether in our text in you know, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2 it says day of Christ or day of the Lord what they both mean is the day of Jesus they're they're both referring Jesus the changes were done related to 
his name. So if we go back to our original question, Christ or Lord, um, I have an opinion about it. I do believe it is Christ. But, uh, you know, in, in reading it in the English, it doesn't make a difference. We're talking about uh, the day of, of, of Jesus. That leads us to a, a more important question, I believe. When we change it from Day of Christ to the Day of the Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, um, are we thinking that? Have we changed it to Lord or Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? There's a difference there, or there could be a difference. They actually can be the same, or they could be different. Lord, uh, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, is the word kurios in the, the Greek translation. And, and actually, we could get it to some things in the Old Testament. But we're in Second Thessalonians talking about the Greek. But that lower one, where it's all capitalized, that is a, is kind of like a trigger word for the English you know, reader of the Bible, that, you know, when we see something like that, we know that that's the Hebrew tetragrammaton, sorry, hard to say that word. Uh, it's, it's, it's Yahweh, Y-H-double-H. So, this, I think, is a more important question. So, let me try to phrase it a little bit differently. In Second Thessalonians, chapter 2 verse 2 are we talking about the day of the Lord or the day of the Lord are we talking about the day of the Messiah or the day of Yahweh are we talking about the day of the Son or the day of the Father now let's put it back into the chapter it begins with, now brethren concerning, but it all ends in verse 2 with, though the day of Christ had come. Well, let's see what some of the changes would bring about. It could be changed to, though the day of the Lord had come. And we said already that that may not make a difference in speaking about Jesus. But what if people are thinking this, as though the day of the Lord had come, or the day of Yahweh had come that could be very different than the day of Christ had come so we'll move on in to take a look at, at, at this difference okay part 5 reasons for confusion our text is 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through 2 now brethren concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So in this study, we want to think about some of the reasons for confusion in this Second Thessalonians text. And there are numerous ones. We're going to cover three. Um, and by doing this, I don't want you to become more confused. That can happen. Sometimes when you bring up these issues, people get even more confused and they give up. I want to encourage you to not do that, but to press on through, to pray, 
and to know that uh, you know blessed are the the pure in heart for they shall see God um, and God will show us he's not a God of confusion he wants to reveal things to us and so in time uh, he'll he'll make it make it clear so let's look at a, a few of the things here first off we have the textual criticism issue which we talked about in our last study and basically uh, well what we talked about there is at the end of verse 2 it says as though the day of Christ had come uh, there are other manuscripts you know as they make further discoveries in archaeology and they come up with new uh, source uh, new texts um, Bible scholars interpreters have to wrestle with this and and so there are some translations that instead of translating this as though the day of Christ had come they translate it as uh, though the day of the Lord and notice capital L lowercase o-r-d that the day of the Lord had come now in our last study we said if it's just this issue right here day of Christ or day of the Lord that it doesn't really make a difference because what it's talking about is the day of Jesus is the day of Jesus but that brings us to a second point of confusion and that's the use of the word Lord uh, there is the the you know all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh from, you know, the Old Testament, and that it appears in the New Testament as well. Then we have Lord, Kyrios, and there's Hebrew use and, uh, new, you know, Greek use. And then we have the word Lord, lowercase, that just simply means master. So the context of the scripture is is very, very important. And so the use of the word Lord um, adds to the, the possible confusion. And then to top it off, <laughs> um, we, well, oh, actually, let me, let me show you an example of this first and why it could be confusing. Um, that, back to that verse there, the end of verse 2. Uh, if you're thinking as though the day of the Lord had come and you're thinking curios and you're thinking Jesus I don't think it poses any problem but if in your mind uh, a person is thinking as though the day of the Lord had come or another way of saying that as though the day of Yahweh had come that could be a problem right there and it the day of Yahweh could be different than the day of Christ. Now, I, I say could be uh, because we want to get to this third one, and I, I sort of jumped the gun before, but um, this is where you'll see, well, the third one is this. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Hebrews says Jesus is the, the perfect image of God the Father, and Jesus only does and says what the Father tells him to do. So this could be a point of confusion because Jesus, the Son, and the Father are so very similar. Well, they're so very similar that they are one. <laughs> so imagine that you're looking over towards the beach and you see two people and you know that it's Keith Daly and if I had a son named Keith, it's Keith Daly. And you're talking to somebody and, and that, that person 
you know, maybe says, oh yeah, the, they, they're trying to talk about one of us over there by the, the, the cliff there. And they say, oh, the man. And you might say, well, well which man? Um, well, the daily. And it's, well, they're, they're both dailies. And, well, Keith. Well, they're both Keith, you know. <laughs> so you'd have to start to explain the one on the right, the one on the left, the one with one hand up, the one with two hands up. And, and you, you need more details to differentiate between these two that are very much alike, father and son, same name. So, you know, the, the this is where the Old Testament becomes very, very important. We're going to, I think, know and understand the New Testament text related to uh, prophecy uh, when we know the Old Testament. Um, so, I, I'd like to go over to an example of this. And uh, over in the sixth seal, Revelation 6, 9 through 17. And we'll just focus in on the very end of that sixth seal. It says this, and, and the people will say to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Notice there's two. We know the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. There are two. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come. Now, I think that's the correct translation there, his. There are some translations, you know, acknowledging that two are being spoken about here, uh, and it might be even be a translation that you're reading. This particular one is New King James. But there are some translations that say, For the great day of their wrath has come. So they, it, it's, it's seen there that there's, our, there, there's two. So um, this, uh, this, is, this is an important thing. And, and it does, I think, come down to... to, uh, to this question um, the day of Christ the day of Yahweh clearly they are related but are they different as well is there something to that Revelation 6 passage that we just looked at uh, he who sitteth upon the throne and the wrath of the lamb do they both have a role to play Will God the Father be doing something during these times of tribulation and wrath? And will the Son have a role to play uh, as He comes back and returns to have His day, the thousand-year reign of Christ? You know, again, we think of that, that the two men and the silhouettes of the men. There's, there's a lot that's similar, but you have to, you have to get a little bit more specific and maybe get into functions and roles and and timing to to understand. So I I think we'll have two more studies here. We're going to look at the day of Yahweh and the day of Christ, and to see if you know there are any differences. And it will help us, uh, you know, uh, to understand what this text is saying. We've reached part six in our uh, day of Christ mini study, and this one we're calling the day of the Lord, 
text, our text is 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, now we're gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And we ended our last study by looking at the sixth seal over in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 17. And towards the end of that passage, there's something that's uh, important there. Uh, and, and said they to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath, or as some translations have it, their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? And so we see there that there are two on the throne. And so what we went to was this. The day of Christ, the day of Yahweh, the day of Messiah, the day of Yahweh. How are these two related how are they the same? How are they different? And, uh, uh, you know, I pointed out that knowing the Old Testament will be a real key uh, uh, in this, this study here to discern the difference between the day of Messiah and the day of Yahweh. Here we're looking at the day of Yahweh, the day of Yahweh. Now, what I have up here is... Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2, in the Hebrew. It's a Hebrew translation from Franz Delich. Let me read a little bit here. This is from Wikipedia. Delich's translation of the New Testament into Hebrew, 1877, is still considered the standard New Testament edition in Hebrew, and in its 10th edition, it was revised by a young Arnold Ehrlich at Delich's insistence. This edition was intended to be used for proselytization among Jews. Later it was revised, revised by Gustav Dahlmann, with whom he shared a common interest in the evangelization of the Jews. It is remarkable that these editions were composed before the modern revival of the Hebrew language, but the translations still remain fresh and alive for readers today. And Delitz was an incredible new, uh, Old Testament scholar, um, he he's written commentaries that are still used to this day. So he has a New Testament, um, went through some additions through these other scholars, but it's a Hebrew translation of the New Testament, and that's what we have here before us. But here we have something highlighted at the end. You know this text at this point. This is concerning the coming of the Lord and our gathering together. <laughs> and that it ends, you know, with Paul talking about as though the day of Christ had come, whereas some translations have it as though the day of the Lord had come. And uh, the highlight there is that phrase that uh, is either day of Christ or day of the Lord or uh, day of Yahweh. Uh, well, let's take a, a peek here at what Delich translated it as and Hebrew is read from right to left he translated as the day of Mashiach and Mashiach Messiah is anointed one and that's the same as the day of Christ Christ means the anointed one 
so it's clear what Delich thought about it. He would say, it, well, it's the, it says the day of Christ. <laughs> well, our focus here, though, uh, at this point, though, is on this day of Yahweh. It, it, it's, in the Hebrew New Testament, it's, it's not there in Second Thessalonians. In fact, it's only the phrase, day of Yahweh, in the Hebrew, and in the Hebrew New Testament, we have it four times four times and that, it, that it's very helpful to look at these here are three of them you could check them out later or pause this here and read them i want to read to you the fourth one it's from first thessalonians 5 1 through 4 and and note the the context and some of the details but concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that i should write to you for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the lord delich has this day of yahweh that the day of Yahweh so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And the labor pains, you're not in darkness, so this day would overtake you. So the day of Yahweh um, in the Old Testament uh, the book of Joel, you should read the, all of the book of Joel. It, 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 it's all about the day of Yahweh. I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 2. Blow the trumpet, verse 1, in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Verse 11, the Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? And verse 31, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now how about some other passages? I'm going to read to you. You, again, would be... I think it would be very profitable to go back and read this whole chapter. But let me read a good portion from Isaiah 13. Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. First Thessalonians 5. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. It shall be as the hunted gazelle, as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people, and everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. 
their children also will be dashed into pieces before their eyes, and their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished. Terrible, terrible, and it reminds you of the sixth seal very much. Book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Be silent in the presence of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests. The seventh seal is a time of silence in heaven. Verse 14 of the same chapter, For the great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men. Because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. It's a terrible, terrible day. Now, Amos 5.18 sums up uh, a lot for us here. I mean, we, we've, we're just touching on it. We're just spending 10 minutes on this. But notice he, uh, Amos 5.18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord? What good is the day of Yahweh to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be darkness and not light. Now that's a key sentence right there for us to consider as we we move forward and uh, look at the day of the Messiah, the day of Christ. Okay, we've reached the last study, part seven in our Day of Christ mini-study. Our text, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, in the last uh, few studies, we've brought out that a, a key thing for us to have discernment in is this issue of uh, the day of Christ, the day of the Messiah, the day of the Anointed One, and the day of Yahweh, to understand how they are similar, how they overlap, and to also understand how they are different. And so last study, we looked at the, the day of Yahweh, uh, mainly from the Old Testament, and Amos Chapter 5, verse 18, uh, is a good summary verse. Um, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. That's a key phrase. It will be darkness 
and not light. So this time we want to move on to the day of Christ. Um, now if you remember when we began this mini-study on the day of Christ, we uh, started off, the, the part one, the very first uh, thing we talked about was the idea of the parousia uh, being a glorious event, a glorious event, uh, uh, which is quite a contrast from a day of darkness. Um, I want to read a, a few verses to you that we, we get in the New Testament. We can't cover them all, but uh, these are just all v verses that are related to the day of Christ, the day of the Lord Jesus, His day. And just listen and, and, and get the feel for uh, these days. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think of this uh, of you all because I have you in my heart and as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how, uh, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Now, you know, God's going to finish his work, and it's to the glory and the praise of the Lord. Now, he continues, uh, Philippians is a book of joy. That's a, it's a key concept. And Philippians talks a lot about the day of the Lord Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my not as uh, in my presence only but now how much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and, and, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Um, Paul, as he talks about the day of Jesus, the, the day uh, of the Lord, uh, he, he speaks about it as a joyful thing, a, a glorious event. Now, uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, in writing to the Corinthian church, Paul writes this, I thank my God always concerning you 
for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even in even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were, you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Some similar themes as we see over in Philippians. But you'll notice here in this particular text that he says that they are eagerly waiting for the apocalypsis of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, eagerly waiting for the revealing. That takes us back to the Hebrews 9 passage that we studied previously. And let me read uh, verses uh, 27-28 of chapter 9. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And that's another thing that you see about the day of Christ, that it's a day of salvation. And we're eagerly waiting for the apocalypsis, the revealing, the unveiling. So this Hebrew 9 passage brings you right back to the, the first Christ. Corinthians passage that we we just read. We're eagerly waiting for him, and it's going to be a day of joy and a day of great glory. Now, we come full circle. If we look over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, I mean, this is our book, so this is a key section here, but it, we're, we're full cir circle. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed apocalypsis from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. Notice, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed a day of glory now you will notice as you begin to look at these passages that the 
threshing floor concept is, is built in. And, and, and the, the idea of the threshing floor is the separation, the chaff and the wheat. There's a separation that's going on. And that's brought out right here in Second Thessalonians. Judgment for some, but salvation for others. This, uh, again, comes out clearly over in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 and 11, and also Romans chapter 2, which we're not going to read just because of the, for the sake of time. But notice the division and how we are not appointed to God's wrath. And, and, and this is an important passage, you know, considering everything we've studied. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of Yahweh, in the modern Hebrew translation, that the day of Yahweh so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, see the distinction, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain, and there it is again, salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And I'd encourage you to read the Romans 2 passage, which speaks about uh, the similar topic. Now, here we are, Luke 17, and uh, we're, we're coming to the end of this, this study, but... In Luke 17, verse 20, the Lord Jesus, uh, well, it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And then he said to his disciples, or to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, or look there. Do not go after them, or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His day, lightning, glorious event. Now this is spoken about over in Matthew 24, verse 27, where Jesus says, For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man be puzzle pieces where this might be a little bit of you know anticlimactic I'm, I'm not 
setting a timeline. I'm not telling you when things happen. What we're trying to do here is to take individual pieces of the puzzle. The day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord, the falling away as we'll move on to the revealing of the, the man of sin and uh, apocalypsis and, and all these different puzzle pieces and seeking to understand them in their context and also at the same time just being in the word and immersing ourselves from Genesis to Revelation hearing the heartbeat of the Bible and God will fit these pieces together for us now one thing is, is for sure the day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh it will be darkness and not light. The day of Christ, the day of Messiah, the day of the Anointed One, is clearly a glorious event. But these two overlap. They're, Jesus and the Father are one. And, and so we want to have discernment from the Word of God to understand the difference. Um... God will grant that to us as we continue to seek Him, as we continue to move on in these studies, as we, we're going to move on to the next section now, which is the falling away and the, the man of sin being revealed. And the more we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures, we will have an understanding. The more we are submitted to the will of God and obedient to Him and loving God and fearing Him, He will grant to you and to I an understanding of things to come that we might understand uh, what the day of Christ is all about.